Hi, this is Rob Cartledge, and we are doing a study through the book of Colossians. You can visit me at www.robcartledge.com. Turn to Colossians 2, and we're looking at verse 9, and we're going to go through to 15. It says in verse 9, and this is reading from the NIV, uh, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head of over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Isn't that a powerful section? All right, so what we're going to do is we're just going to go through and do an expositional study, which means just bringing out the meaning of each of those verses, and we're going to go in order of those verses. And I think it's probably one of the best ways to uh, study the Bible is verse by verse by verse, um, getting the full meaning. Um, topical studies is another form of sermon preparation, and a topical study is basically getting a topic like prayer and then finding all the related scriptures that speak of prayer. But expositional is going verse by verse in order through the Bible. So they're both good in, in their own and have their place. So we're just going to have a quick look at their breakdown. Chapter 2, verse 9 talks about the deity of Christ. 2.10 talks about that we are full in Christ. 11 is to put off the sinful nature. And 12 is to be buried in baptism and raised through your faith. 13 is to be is dead to sin, that we are dead to sin but alive in Christ or with Christ. 14 is that the written code was nailed to the cross. And 15 is the triumph over the cross. Colossians 2.9 says that for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. The fullness of the deity and the deity is the creator. All right, The supreme existence who always existed eternally and he he existed out time, outside of time and space. So God, before time and space, this is hard to fathom, before time and space existed, God existed. Because time and space is a creation of God. So it's hard to understand just where God is when you look at it like that. Like, okay, he's all through the universe, and that's hard to fathom alone, that God is everywhere in the universe, present at once. And as science has discovered, that there is no end to the universe as far as we can tell, because if there's an end, what's on the other side of that? If there's a big wall that says this is the end of the universe, what's outside of that? As we've, you know, many philosophers have tackled that, that one. We can understand it in theory, but to really grasp it is outside of our comprehension because we're finite existences. We don't have that capacity of brain power to comprehend what's outside or what is beyond eternity or beyond never-ending space do you know what i'm saying so but god existed outside of all that so where did god exist before he created time and space and this is the this is an unusual thing but god one day is going to give us the the 
brain capacity or the mind capacity to comprehend it. And I'm sure that's when we get our imperishable bodies. And we might have to spend a few billion years in heaven first before it fully <laughs> hits us, which is going to be fun, isn't it? And the growth to that, the, the, the time we spend uh, moving towards that and fathoming that knowledge of just how awesome our God is, that growth towards that is going to be the most joyous growth you've ever experienced. You know, I've, I've said a few times that if you can get the best time that you've ever had in your life on earth, if you can think about what was the most amazing time that you've ever had on planet earth, now, that won't even compare to entering into heaven. When you enter into heaven, it, every other thing that you've ever experienced in life will pale. Because the moment you enter in, it's just going to blow your mind. Your senses are going to explode. You're going to get extra senses. Taste is going to increase by a, a hundredfold. You know, food is going to taste thousands of times better than it does here. And that's just one sense. The hearing, the most beautiful things you're ever going to hear are going to uh, happen in heaven. You think you hear beautiful music down here. It does not compare to heaven. You know, that's where God's angels play music there, not mm. fallen men. <laughs> or fallen angels and fallen men play music here. So the music's corrupted. It's not perfect, but up there it's perfect. You know, so our ears are going to have, uh, be del- it's going to be a delightful thing. You know, our sight is going to see more colour than it's ever seen here. Things are going to be so much more beautiful because there's no death in heaven. So everything is going to just just be arrayed in beauty and glory. Do you know what I mean? You know, and that's just three of the senses. Our mind is our comprehension capacities. We're going to comprehend things like things that we struggled with down here. It's just it'll be normal up there. You know, the greatest philosophical questions that are asked down here and the, the most... Difficult answers given down here are going to be nothing up there to understand. A layman will understand them. You know, so what we have to look forward to is, is awesome. And this is what we're talking about here, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity. And the next scripture says, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. So that is when we are completely brought to fullness is when we enter into heaven. Because here we aren't... We, we have entered into fullness, as in we've discovered the truth in Jesus Christ. But it's not until we enter into heaven that that fullness will be realized. Amen? So one of the proof tests in checking someone's absolute faith in Christ is to find out the sincerity of their belief that Jesus Christ is actually God incarnate. If you want to know if they believe in Christ truly, that's what you've got to ask them. Because I've spoke to, I remember a few weeks ago I spoke to a guy and said, do you believe in Jesus? And he goes, oh, yes. I said, yeah, but do you believe in the Jesus who is the Son of God? He's eternal. He is God. And he's at the right hand of the Father and he died for your sins on the cross. And he goes, oh, no, no, I don't believe in that Jesus. Okay. I'm glad I made that clear because you believe in a different Jesus. Just because they claim to believe in Jesus does not make them Christian and does not mean they're saved. A lot of people believe that you can become Christ, that you can ascend unto Christ consciousness, go through all these levels, and one day we will, just like Christ ascended, we can ascend as well. And it's all through knowledge. You know, this is the New Age beliefs and the Gnosticism and those sorts of things. But just because someone claims to believe in Jesus does not mean they believe in the Jesus of the Bible. So you've got to check that out because this is the proof test. So that's what you ask the Jehovah's Witness. Do you believe that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God who died for your sins and is at the right hand of the Father right now? And he is God as God is. He is. They'll say, no, I don't. All right, well, you're not Christian. 
you know, I don't, I don't need to listen to you. You now need to listen to me, <laughs> you know. That's the, and uh, Christadelphians, the same problem. You know, Mormons, same problem. They believe in uh, that our God is the son of another God from another galaxy. Do you know what I'm saying? But that's not the God of the Bible because God of the Bible is the one and only God who exists throughout all time and outside of time as well. Amen. So if Jesus is not God, then our faith is useless. Who's thought about that? If Jesus isn't God, then what are we doing being Christian? Maybe go and just hang out in the Buddhist temple or something, find some peace in meditation or something, because if Jesus is not God, our faith is useless. That's why I never comprehend what are Christian Dolphins and Jehovah's Witnesses doing holding to this faith if they don't believe that Jesus is God? they may as well go and be something else or just forget that whole thing altogether because there's no power in their faith then. If just an ordinary man called Jesus laid his life down for the sins of men, if he was just an ordinary man, then there is absolutely no power in that sacrifice to save men through faith in it. There's no power if an ordinary man did it because it really if, if just say an ordinary man had the capacity to walk in a sinless life, he is still an ordinary man and he will die and he will receive a place in heaven because he's fulfilled the law, which no man yet has been able to do. But just say one man possibly did it and he fulfilled the law. He's only saved himself. He's only saved himself. He, hasn't had, he does not have the capacity to save any more persons than himself because he fulfilled the law. Only the one who wrote the law and laid his life down could fulfill the law. Do you grasp where I'm going with this? I'm talking by the Holy Spirit. If you haven't trouble grasping what I'm saying, just ask, Holy Spirit, help me to understand this. Help me to rest in this knowledge that's getting spoken, not struggle to comprehend it. Just May it just sort of seep into my consciousness. Amen? However, we believe that the fullness of the deity lived in Christ. The fullness of the deity. And that all things were created through Christ. So what, what that's saying is if the fullness of the deity, if the fullness of the Godhead, that Jesus is the actual God who created all that is, as it says in Colossians 1, 15 to 20, and as it says in uh, John 1 uh, through to, you know, uh, I think verse 3 or 4, if that is true, that all things were created through Christ and are held together by him, that means the whole universe only stays in its place because of Jesus. It's a pretty big responsibility for Jesus, isn't it? And we're trying to think of, we always look at Jesus. When I say Jesus, most people just think of a man, don't they? Physical man with limitations and he's on the cross and he's, yeah. But we shouldn't think of Jesus like that. We've got to think of Jesus as the almighty God, who he is. He's the almighty God. The whole universe continues to spin in orbit. And, and doesn't, you know, destroy itself, you know, through this randomness because Jesus is there going like this. He's spinning it. He's keeping it in its place. It says that in the Word of God. All things were created through Christ and are held together by him. Therefore, only he had the power to carry the weight of the sins of the world. If Jesus can hold the universe in place, do you think Jesus could carry the weight of human sin? Yeah. It had to be a God with that sort of power to carry the weight of sin. See, if it was just a human and he died and he, perfect, he fulfilled the, the law and he, he died and, he, you know, um, and he, he went to heaven, does that human have the power to hold the universe together? No. 
Because no, he didn't create the universe. But Jesus created the universe. Therefore, Jesus created man. Therefore, Jesus created the law. Therefore, Jesus could fulfill the law. Therefore, Jesus could carry the weight of human sin and those that had transgressed the law. Amen? You see this? This is why it was so amazing. When Jesus came and laid his life down on that cross for us, God laid his life down on the cross. God who holds the universe in his hands, who spins it and keeps it in place, holds it together, died so that we could live in him. But it's a free invitation. It's an open invitation. He doesn't want to he doesn't go against the will of man. He gave man their own will. He said, "Have your own will. Believe if you will. If you don't believe, I'm not going to force you to believe." You know, and that's because he's a loving God. If you find a really truly loving person, will that person force another person to love them? No, a truly loving person will just say, look, I love you, but I can't help it if you don't love me. I wish you would. You know, I, I, you've got no reason not to love me because I'm just loving you. You know, in Jesus' case, no one has any reason to hate him, really, have they? No one has a reason. There is, you know, every single atheist I've ever heard talk or every single person who's in opposition to Christ that I've ever spoken to have no reason to hate Jesus like they do. They don't even know why they hate Jesus. It's so frustrating. They hate him because they love sin more. That's uh, very good, Bill. Yeah. If you love sin more than Jesus, then you're going to hate Jesus. And that's why people give up the faith. That's why there's Christians that have been Christians for many, many years and they turn from the faith. They stop believing in Jesus and the simple reason is is because they want to sin. And they don't go together. (laughs) Sin and Jesus don't mix. It's like oil and water. But it's even more apart than that. Oil sits on top of water. Jesus won't sit on top of sin. <laughs> Colossians 2.10, it says this, And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. In Christ you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Now, I had to go to the Amplified just for this one. I was going to do the whole thing in Amplified, but I thought uh, just to, for time restraints, just not to. But the Amplified reads this. It says, And you are in him made full and having come to fullness of life in Christ, you too are filled with the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? That in Christ you are filled with the Godhead. You have the the Godhead, the Trinity, is living in you. Because all you need is one in you. If the Holy Spirit is in you, the Holy Spirit is the Father, is the Son, isn't he? Because they're one. They're three but one. So if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have the complete Godhead in you. So in that sense, you're complete and full in Christ. It doesn't mean you don't sin. It doesn't mean you don't have your failings. It doesn't mean you're not, you know, you, you know those sorts of things. You're still going to struggle through life because life is a struggle, but you're going to struggle with God carrying you through it. Yeah? And it's important to know that because sometimes, uh, I don't know about you, but can you feel even though you might have friends and family and wives and children and all that, you can sometimes feel very alone in the world when things get heavy, when the pressures of life get heavy, and the weight of life comes down on you. But to know that you have God in you, you know, that's really important. And that you have the life God, the, the Word of God is the life God. How many of you resort to the Bible when you're going through difficulties? Yeah? I know Kira's told me a few times she has. It's an important book. Who believes that? 
You know, without it, well, for a start, if this Bible never existed, no one will know about Jesus anymore. That's you know? the most position we really have. It is. This is the most important thing in, in our life. You know, despite what people tell you about it, that you're just putting all your hope in a book written by man, no. Hope in a book written by men by the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in us. How much more do they have the Holy Spirit in them? You know? They keep leaving that part out because they don't see any significance in it. Oh, the Holy Spirit, yeah, right. You know, but hang on, that's everything. So here's the head of all rule and authority of every angelic principality and power. So the ultimate reason for life is to find the life giver himself. The one who created all things and gave life to all things and who is the head over every rule and authority and power and dominion. That is the ultimate reason for life. Who believes that with all their heart? That the whole reason you were born was to find Christ? And the whole reason you were born is to live in him and to die in him. Because the word of God says, if you die in him, no one can snatch you out of his hand. Right? That means that he's going to be there with you and no demon in hell could grab you out of his hand, provided you stay in his hand. Because remember, it's a willful decision to be a Christian. So you've got to willfully stay in his hand. So you cling to his hand. Now, as long as you're in his hand, he's not going to let go of you. It's like he got you and he's, he's got you tight now. But if, you get, if you're there clawing your way out and say, let me out, let me out, he's going to go, okay, well, I'm not a God to force you to stay in my hand mm-hmm. so you can get out. So you yourself can get out of the hand of God. Yeah. That must be understood. But no one, if you're in the hand of God and you want to stay in the hand of God, no one can snatch you out. No demon in hell can get in there and pull you out. Amen? Amen? That's important to understand because a lot of people say that they use that argument to say that you're once saved, always saved. And even if you turn against Jesus because you confessed him once, you will still be saved? That's ridiculous. You know, that's just absolutely ludicrous. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. So listen to that. I'm going to read it again. Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. This is interesting. That's John 5.24. What that tells me is that when you don't believe in Jesus, you're walking dead. Did you know that? Before you came to faith in Christ, you were dead. You weren't just, you were eternally dead in the sense. You were dead in your sin, but you were eternally dead. Because as long as you stayed in that condition, you would have no chance of eternal life. Yeah. Yeah, that is the, the real term. That's the real definition of a zombie. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're a, you're a zombie. You know, you've got to come to faith. You must come to faith. And that's what life's all about. All right, Colossians 2.11, and this is about putting off the sinful nature. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. And other scriptures say that it was the circumcision of the heart. But we were circumcised, our heart's been circumcised. That means the sin nature, uh, the moment you accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour, your sin nature was cut away. That's the only way you can believe in Jesus, is to have that sin nature cut away and you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what it's talking about. So when we are ruled by the flesh, we are ruled by the sinful nature. 
which is contrary to the spiritual nature. And the word tells us that this corrupt carnal nature, which is that sinful nature, we call that carnal, was spiritually cut off and it was cut off us by Christ himself. So those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So at conversion, this is important, Christ cut off our carnal nature, he cut it away. However, we must crucify its passions and desires daily. And this is the die daily attitude. Remember Paul said, I die daily? Right? What that means is Christ at conversion cut off the sinful nature so that it has no control over us from that point. As in, it's now no longer ruling us. Christ is now ruling us. But from that moment forward, we're going we're gonna, to uh, be troubled continuously by passions and desires. Right? Because sin is all around us. You know, we're living in a sinful world. Those passions and desires are going to come back and haunt us. And we've got to crucify those desires daily. Who knows that's a difficult task? It's a difficult task, isn't it? You know, every day we battle with different things. It's amazing how many ways Satan tries to tempt us to sin and cause us to live by that carnal nature. We've got to die to that every day. It's a decision. It's a decision. The Bible tells us, Paul says, put on Jesus Christ. Put on him like clothing. Put him on in the morning. So you get up. It's important to dress before we leave to go out. But it's important to put on Christ as we go out. The full armor of God. And we need that. We need to be alert to what the enemy is going to try to do to us that day. You know, would it be crazy as a soldier who's on the front line, who's in the midst of a battle, to just get up and just walk merrily around, you know, the trenches like this and just get up on, in the no man's land and just wander around, not really remembering that he's in battle? <laughs> He'd be shot down like that. If you wake up in the morning, you forget where, where you are, you know, this is a battlefield, a spiritual battlefield. Our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and principalities in the heavenly realms. That's who we're battling. You know, spiritual dark forces of evil, they're all around us at all, all times. Now, we have to be alert to that. We've got to be very aware of what, what's going on around us at every moment of every day. And we have to crucify the flesh, meaning I'm not going to obey these temptations and pulls of the flesh and live for Christ in fullness. Amen? And I'm telling you, I know it's easier said than done. It's easy to say it. It's really easy to say it. Ministers have an easy time of saying it. <laughs> but to live it, ministers have a hard time living it as well. Everyone has a hard time. So we've got to be really alert to it. And the more alert we can be, the more we can remind ourselves of these things, the easier it gets to walk through it. Remember, I, I used the analogy of learning to play a musical instrument. The more you practice, the less mistakes you make. You know, the less you practice, the more mistakes you make. <laughs> you know, so it's the same in, in uh, living the, the pure Christian life. The more you think about it and process it and be alert to what is happening around us in a spiritual sense, the better you can walk your day. But if you wake up in the morning and the last thing you think about is Jesus and you spend the whole day consumed with thoughts of everything but Jesus, you get to the end of the day and then, oh, yeah, Jesus, oh, that's right, I'll pray for five minutes, jump in the bed. Little wonder the things of God will seem very, very unreal to you, you know. And sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes if you don't consider God much, God can seem extremely unreal. 
You know, that's why atheists have a hard time with the concept because they don't consider him. So if you don't consider him, of course, when someone says, you know, you should believe in God, and they go, hey, what? That's a foreign concept. Actually, some atheists I know spend more time arguing against the existence of God than, than Christians for the existence. So you wonder, how come they still don't find him, even though they, they do consider him, in, but from a negative point? Yeah. All right, so Colossians 2.12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So having been buried. I'll just go straight to the commentary here. Clark's commentary tells us this, and it's alluding to the immersions practised in the case of adults wherein the person appeared to be buried in the water, under the water, as Christ was buried in the heart of the earth. So the water baptism. So having been buried with him in baptism, and we all... A lot of commentators believe that's talking of a water baptism in which you also raised with him as you come out of the water uh, through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So this verse does, does point out the importance of the act of mature age water baptism. And when I say mature age, a willful water baptism. A child being baptised is not what I call a baptism. I call that a christening. It's a blessing from the church or from the minister but it's not a water baptism because the child had no say in it. You know, how many, you know, Greeks and Catholics I know or that they come out of the Greek church or the Catholic church and uh, they say they were christened there, but they're atheists. So there's no willful, you know, commitment to Christ. They can't claim that baptism that they had when they were one years old is going to have any sort of say in their, you know, you know, in their getting into the kingdom of God, you know. So it's about a, a willful baptism. And so when I say this, I'm, I'm probably going to talk to a few of you that may have never been properly water baptised as in for the importance of it. Um, and I think that's a worthwhile topic because the Great Commission, it, the actual wording of the Great Commission is that we are told to go out and water baptise. Mm. It's part of the Great Commission. So if that was the Great Commission and it's the outline of what we should do and it's only a short commission, then how important must it be? This verse does point out the importance of the act of mature age water baptism. However, as we profess faith in Christ, our carnal nature is buried with him and Christ raises us from the dead, born again in him, a new creation. So whether you're water baptised or not, you are a new creation. Right? The water baptism is like the confirmation. Um, but you've got to remember, you know, there's deathbed confessions. People that, you know, in the last five minutes of their life, they give their life to Christ. No chance of a water baptism. Mm. But they're still saved. But when you're living a life of Christ, you know, 20, 30 years a Christian, there should be a water baptism because it should be a confirmation of your commitment, a public confirmation. All right, so Colossians 2.13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, remember before you knew Jesus, you were dead. You crossed over from death to life just to believe in Jesus. So when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Now, that's how we got made alive in him, because of forgiveness. It's not because we've suddenly became really, really good people. It's because he said, okay, I see, you know, the filthy mess you're in. I'm going to cut that away. I'm going to forgive you of it, and I'm going to cast those sins as far as the east is from the west. And I love how Jesus says east from the west. Because as we know, if you travel east you will always be travelling east. You will never end up travelling west. 
But Jesus didn't say, oh, cast your sins as far as the north is from the south. Because if you travel north and you keep going north, you'll eventually start heading south. You know what I mean? So that means they're coming back at you again. So I think Christians, Jesus says he'll cast them east from west, but a lot of Christians think it's north from south because we all go and get condemned again for things we've already repented of. (laughs) They come back to haunt us. (laughs) But they're not supposed to. They're supposed to just be gone and then never see them again. Okay, but um, and when I did that, because I'm thinking from an earth, but east from west is really one direction that way, and the other one's that way. So if he gets our sins and goes like this, they will never be seen again. They're just going to go off into eternity. Yeah. But I suppose if you go from a uh, universal standpoint, if you go north in the universe, you'll never end up going south, will you? But in the world, you... you but remember, we are in the world, so... Another science thing going on here. <laughs> the universe is a circle shaped like a sphere shape. Sphere. Oh, right. Is it? He forgave us all our sins. So, But God raised us up with him through our faith. And this is our the Easter message coming here. God raised us up with him through our faith in him. Remember, it's through our faith in him that God raised us up. It's like we stepped into an air balloon by faith and the balloon raised us up into the air. You know, Christ did it, not we did it by our own good works. Do you get that? If you get into an air balloon and the air balloon carries you up, you didn't carry yourself up, did you? The air balloon lifted you up. But your faith in the air balloon to get into it was what got you up there. You know, same with Christ. If we step into Christ, our faith in him will raise us up and keep us for eternal life. So in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we are told here to count ourselves dead to sin. If we are dead to the earth, we no longer live in it, do we? If you're dead to this earth, you're no longer here. If you're dead to sin, you no longer live in sin. And that's why Paul said, count yourselves that. Consider yourself dead to sin. So when sin is before you, you have no emotional emotional attachment to it. And if that emotional attachment starts to creep in and cause lusts and desires and passions that you really don't want there, crucify him. In the name of Jesus, I come against you now. I'm not going to stand for that passion and desire coming into my heart. And you've got to be sometimes very, very forceful with, with those temptations and very, very strong in the spirit to stand against them. Now, People will think when, when you start living like this that you just think you're perfect. They'll think that you just think you're sinless and all that. No, it's the complete opposite. It's because we know we're sinners that we live like this. We're just resisting it with, with everything in us. makes us no better than anybody else except for the fact that we live by the book, you know. So the written code was nailed to the cross. Colossians 2.14 says, Having cancelled the written code with its regulations, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So Jesus' death on the cross fulfilled the exacting requirements of the law of God. And I spoke about this earlier. You know, there was the law. The law said, thou shall not do this, thou shall not do that, and all this sort of stuff. No one up until Christ or since Christ has been able to fulfil the law. But Jesus fulfilled the law and Jesus death on the cross fulfilled the exacting requirements of the law of God which no man up to that time and since had ever been able to fulfill so according to the law of God no man is justified before a holy God 
for the written code stood against us and condemned us. Do you know, if you stand before God without Jesus Christ, you know who's going to condemn you? The law. The law. The law is going to stand there and condemn you. And you're going to try your best to say, no, 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 I'm sure I fulfilled at least some of them. And Jesus will say, if you just broke one of these, you've broken them all. You know, you've broken the law. You know, if you break the law and you're standing before a judge on earth and they find you guilty, what happens? You either get, yeah, you get punished in some form. If it's a bad enough crime, you go to jail. Now, how ruthless are men? They're pretty ruthless. Well, God has seen every single thing you've ever done in your life. There is nothing withheld from his eyes. So he's going to stand there. He's got a case against every single human. No one is justified before, this, before our holy God. No one. So unless you stand there with Jesus Christ, who died and was raised to life on, for you, for your, so to forgive you for all your sins, you stand there and you're in a very precarious situation if you don't have Jesus there. You really do want Jesus standing there with his hand on your shoulder. And you know what? As, as much as this sounds very theoretical and sounds like some, you know, future thing that may happen and you're not, you know, you can even get a sense that it's, it's just so far away that it's never going to happen. Do you know what I mean? I remember when I was 10 years old, I thought I'd never get to 40. I thought I was young forever. Who's felt they were going to be young forever? Yeah? I always thought I was going to be young forever. But now I'm old. And I'm looking back and that was a distant memory of what I was like. <laughs> but I'm 44, you know what I mean? And, this, and we are going to get older and one day we're going to be 80 if we live that long, if God graces us with that much life. We're going to be 80. And we're going to go, wow, it's real. 80-year-olds are real and I'm one of them. You know, one day, judgment day will be here in the same way. And when it comes... The rest of life will have seemed like a, a twinkling of the eye. It will seem like it just happened so, so not long ago. And we're going to go, oh, gee, everything we've talked about and thought about and, and that and everything the Bible's saying is true. We're standing here, we're in front of God, and there's the judgment. And I'm about to be judged. Cool, I'm getting the spirit right now. And then Jesus steps up beside you and puts his arm around you. Don't worry, I'm with you. How would you feel? I would just go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, I thought I was going down to that burning hell because I can see it now. It's no more speculation whether it's real or not and people saying, oh, I can't believe you believe in hell. I don't believe in hell, therefore it doesn't exist, all these sorts of things. Hang on. We're standing there. We're looking. There's a burning furnace over there. And the reality of it is before your eyes, as much as, as clear or clearer than this reality of this room is right now. And there's a burning hell. And there's a God, a holy God, blowing your mind how awesome he is. And he is passing judgment. Passing judgment. And when it comes down to it, it's those that reject Jesus Christ that go there. So at that moment, you want Jesus beside you. You want his arm around you. Amen. Yes. How beautiful would it be? How beautiful. You'll want to hug him forever. You'll never want to let him go. <laughs> you know? So we've got to think like this. You know, uh, Leonard Ravenhill quoted someone, I can't remember who he quoted, but he said, stamp eternity on your eyeballs. 
So you've got to have eternity written on your eyeballs. We're living for eternity. Eternity began the moment you accepted Jesus Christ. Eternity began. Eternity of life began from that moment. And I'm going to add to that. Stamp judgment on your eyeballs. Wake up with the judgment before you at all times and let its reality seep into your soul, into your heart. Let it change you deep within so that every move, every action you make is in sight of the judgment so that when Jesus sees you he says from that moment you stamp judgment on your eyeballs you live for me totally and well done my good and faithful servant come and enter into my rest I have a throne waiting for you you built so many riches in the kingdom of God you put all your faith in me and 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 building riches where moth and rust does not destroy here it is the kingdom of God and these are the riches you built and you go thank you God I live like a pauper down there, but look at the riches I have here. I didn't have a billion dollars down here. I gave that all up so that I could have riches beyond compare in heaven, eternal riches that never fade, you know. So that's how our our life should be lived out. It should be on our eyeballs. So all you see is the judgment. All you live for is the judgment. doesn't mean you don't have fun. Doesn't mean like you know. Sometimes I reckon we have better fun than than the unbelievers. Mm-hmm. The unbelievers try to seek out fun, usually in sick ways. Mm-hmm. You know, but when when we laugh about a joke, it's usually about something that's you know genuinely funny, without being necessarily overly sick. Mm-hmm. Sometimes <laughs> we've got to be careful what we find humorous. <laughs> you know, it's easy to fall into deep sin when you enter into you know humour, mm-hmm. coarse joking, that sort of stuff. Sydney, right, eternity, every street line you come to. Yes. Remember? Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Wow, yeah. He was in Sydney, a Sydney guy. Yeah. And he wrote, he spent, he used to get up really early in the morning and he wrote eternity on the footpaths. And everywhere he went, eternity was written. And no one knew because this guy just was an unknown and he died. But years later, all these people were coming to say that, you know, I, that when they asked, you know, their testimony, how did you find Christ? He says, because oh, I saw eternity written on the footpath. And it so impacted them, so changed them that they um, found Jesus as a result. So it wasn't just his power of writing the word. It was the spiritual connection that that word held by the man who wrote it. So that man left an impression, the Holy Spirit, on the pavement. And someone will come past and look at it, and it was like, bang, jump on them. It's eternity. Who considers eternity? You know, most people think, you know, atheists will tell you at the end of this life, that's it. You know, everything else has an eternal quality about it, except us and our spirit. They don't even think we have a spirit. You know, that we're just a flesh being, a, a brute beast living on earth. And you know what? To the most part, we do. Many of us live like brute beasts. But... The fact of the matter is we have an eternal spirit and that eternal spirit is going to go somewhere and that's what we've got to be concerned about because we don't know if we're going to be here tomorrow. You know, if some crazies at the head of our... Uh, in, in the, who lead up the world decide to, tonight's going to be a nuclear war and the buttons start getting pressed, that's it. North Korea said, yes, sir, they want to bomb the USA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK. So, you know, it's really any moment thing. We could be gone at any moment. The, the fact of the matter is we could be in heaven tomorrow, guys. Did you know that? We could all be facing Jesus tomorrow. We could all be standing in heaven tomorrow. Who knows? Or we could be there in 50 years. Fact is one day we're going to depart from this life and it's crazy to think that we're going to be here forever. 
And it's crazy to think that these realities that God so graciously given us insight into aren't real. So when Jesus was nailed to the cross, the law of God, that's the law that condemned us, was nailed to the cross with him. And by that sacrificial act, he took on himself the condemnation we deserved according to the law. And because of this, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. We are all justified freely because he took what we deserve on himself. When he hung on that cross and went into the death realm, remember he entered into the death realm. Now, you know what? We will not enter into the death realm. We don't enter into the death realm. Christians don't go into death. True Christians. I'm going to add that in because um, Christians go to hell. And why I'm saying that is professed Christians go to hell. People who claim Christ or claim to be Christian but aren't really Christian. They don't live for Christ. They don't follow Christ. They don't deny the flesh. They don't walk in the spirit. Yet they just hold to a confession which is not transforming the heart. If we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, and that is the key. You've got to believe in your heart. Now, if you have a belief in your heart, then that has, your heart gets circumcised of the sin nature, and from that moment forth you live for God and deny the flesh. So that confession thing is taken a bit too light, uh, not literally enough, I suppose. That's what the problem is. Okay, so the triumph of the cross, and this is the last screen, Colossians 2.15, it says this, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, having disarmed them, so what he went in and did, if these powers and authorities, which were the ones that were holding uh, control over the death realm and all that, they stood there with their weapons, Jesus just walked in and just took them out of their hand. You know, better than Bruce Lee. <laughs> just took the knife out of his hand and snatched the guns they shot at him but had no effect on him and he grabbed them All right, that's how I like to see it <laughs> Jesus get <laughs> so and having disarmed the powers and authorities he made a public spectacle of them so what can you read from that he made a public spectacle he showed them, he showed them but publicly shame the spiritual realm saw it. The whole demonic realm were there watching Jesus walk in and amongst them all, they're all there, however many billion there are, and Jesus just waltzed in and just made a public spectacle of the whole lot of them. And they're all shamed. You know, better than Bruce Lee in the dungeon, Mooch. Pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, by the cross. He triumphed over them. That's where he won the battle. Satan nailed him on the cross, thinking, I've got him. I've got the Son of God exactly where I want him. Chink, chink, chink. Beautiful. Put him up there. He's a goner. I've won. And then he saw Jesus. He died. He came out of his body. And what did he do? He walked up to Satan. Bang! On the ground. Give me that. Then he walked up to all the other demons who were trying to hold a bit of authority and smacked them around. Made a public spectacle of them. How awesome. I want to see that. <laughs> I want to see that. There's a video in heaven of that because it's a public spectacle. Right? There is a video of heaven. Awesome. What a God we have. You know, that's why I've got to get on the right side of him. 
So Jesus triumphed and was victorious on the cross and he disarmed the powers and authorities. These were those who controlled the death realm. He disarmed them. He smashed them around. I am the living one. Nikki, Revelation 1.18. I am the living one. I was dead and now look. And now look. I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. He holds the keys. Is that the scripture you're talking about? Yes. And he holds the scripture, the, the keys, and he holds the scripture, but he holds the keys of death and Hades in his hand. Do you know what that means? Jesus decides where you go when you die. So Jesus has control over the death realm. Isn't that good to know? That it's in the hands of a holy God. They're not in the hands of a brute beast like Satan. You know? And he triumphed over them. That's awesome. Awesome news. Jesus now holds the, the eternal destiny of every soul he created in his hands in the form of keys. Keys. As the Bible says, keys. Keys to the kingdom. So there must be a big door. Remember, he said, I am the door. You must enter through him. He's got the key to that door. He's got the key to the door of hell. And what he shuts, actually right here, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David's. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. That's Revelation 3.7. What he shuts, no one can open. What he opens, no one can shut. So if he's opened up eternal life to you, no one can shut it. Provided that you live your life out in him. That you don't reject him in this life. That door is wide open. And what he shuts, if he shuts someone into hell, they're there forever. Never, ever will they get out again. There's no appeal. You can't appeal the decision in hell. It's final. And this is why you've got to make the right decision in life. This is why, you know, the most important thing in life is to find Christ. Find eternal life. Stay saved. Once you're saved, stay saved. Stay built up in the faith. Encourage one another. All the more as we see the day approaching, we should get around each other, encourage each other, build each other in the faith. That's why I spend so much time working on my sermons because I want to keep you guys saved. That's my only motive. I want everyone here saved and stay saved. You know, because it's so important. You know, eternal life or an eternal death is a long, long time. And there'll be nothing worse. I've had this vision many, many times. I've considered what it would be like to wake up in hell. To wake up and know that this is it. Have you ever burnt your finger on a hot stove or accidentally touched fire and then realised your finger's on in fire? What's that pain? What's it like? Is it sharp? Is it a sharp pain? It's a really sharp pain because your reaction to it is like rapid, isn't it? When you realise, oh, that's so, like, you know, you're quick when you pull away from it really fast. You know, if you could make your body move that quick, you'd beat, you know, um, the best 100-metre champion in the world, Usain Bolt. You'd bolt way past him. I'm sure if, if you got your backside burnt in hell, you would pass the same bolt in 100 metres. You'd be running that fast away from hell. You know what I mean? But I've... Ooh. And that was just water burning. That wasn't flames. Vina... Vina um, was cooking up uh, Avril Lemon or Super. <laughs> you know the one? And um, 
she poured it into a the hot boiling hot water into a, a porcelain a glassy type of bowl that she'd done many times, but this particular time it shattered into a fragments and all that boiling hot chicken broth went all over her legs. And I found her, Alicia was only like a little baby and she came running out, Daddy, Daddy, I was teaching piano. And I came in and Venia's standing under the cold water in the shower, you know, screaming. So it was just hot water and the burn was right down her legs, her the, her quads and um, it was excruciating. excruciating and then you think of those people that have been you know uh, caught in a flame and like in a car accident and they're trapped in the car they get burnt for a, just a moment and they get brought out and six months eight months of recovery and their skin grafts and they look a mess afterwards and but you just think to be trapped in that intensity of heat or even greater because hot water doesn't compare to boiling hot flames, you know. So you don't want to go there. And I've had this vision of being in that place just in myself, and it is horrific. And the lostness that you'll feel, and you just, you know that this is it. This is my destiny forever and ever and ever, and it will never cease. And you'll look up on a wall and a million years will tick over, and you'll go, I've been here a million years. I can't handle another second in this place. But I'm going to be here until I see a million, million years clock over. And then I'm still entering into eternity. It's never going to end. Billion, billion years will tick over one day. And you're still in the flame. You're still burning. You can't handle it one more second. And you're still there. And then a billion, 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 billion years will tick over. And you're still in that flame. And you can't handle it for one more second. People are playing with fire all over the earth. And it's frightening that at any moment they could end up burning like that forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And they don't get it. They just don't get it. They don't humble themselves. They don't want to give up their sinful ways. They don't want to turn to Jesus and say, please forgive me, my Lord. And so because of this hardness of hearts, because of their lack of humbleness, because of their lack of repentance, because they can't say, sorry, Lord, forgive me, they're going to burn. They're going to burn and burn and burn. And the Bible tells us this. It's the just retribution for a life of sin. It's, and you know what it is? It's even more so than a just retribution for a life of sin. It's even more so a just retribution for turning their backs against the Son of God and rejecting Him and hating Him to boot. I hope I haven't freaked anyone out. But maybe we have to get freaked out every now and then. I think it's healthy gives us a healthy appreciation for just what Jesus did for us on Easter. On that Passover when he was crucified for us. That's how important it is. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Actually, yeah, I'll pray and then we're going to have a communion. Lord, Lord, I thank you for this, for this message. Lord, I thank you that by the Spirit you uh, spoke. And Lord, we receive what you said. Lord, help us to walk by the Spirit. Help us to stay in the Spirit. Help us to put on the Spirit. Put up, be filled with the Spirit. Put on 
Jesus Christ, be clothed in the armour of God every day. Help us to stamp eternity on our eyeballs and help us to stamp the judgment on our eyeballs so that we live in sight of the judgment at all times and don't depart from it. So, Lord, I just pray that you just have a... May this bear a lot of fruit, this message. May all of us here just be really transformed in our attitude towards you and that we take spiritual things really seriously, Lord. That uh, reading your word and praying to you and uh, living a life for you becomes the most important thing, the thing that we put above all other things, the priority of our life, so we can live it out as we should. So we don't um, uh, displease you by our life. But Lord, we want to please you, we want to bless you with every last thing that we do in this life so that when we get to heaven, you would say, welcome. Welcome into my rest. Enter into my rest, my good and faithful servant. And Lord, we want to enter into that rest. So keep us strong in the faith. Keep us committed to one another as Christians, uh, Christian brothers and sisters here, Lord, that we would all commit to each other and bless each other and, and encourage each other. And all the more, the word says, as we see the day approaching. And, Lord, we know your coming is, is very soon. But we know that at any moment we, we really could be in your presence because life is so fleeting and so many people die regularly all around the world. At every second of the day there's someone dying somewhere. So, Lord, death is, is very real and we, we know it, we see it all the time. So help us to keep this in mind. Help us to be very in tune with what you want us to do and how we should be doing it every single day. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment, and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine, and end times. Feel free to check them out.